The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Dudley, good to be back with you again this month. We're going to talk about a very, very important thing all of us are are facing in these days. But before I do, I wanted to remind you of some upcoming things that are really important. First of all, the father-daughter thing is coming up. It's going to be a really good one. All, all of them are. But it's uh, February 15 through 17. Uh, daughters 15 and up, age-wise. Uh, no limit on the up. And the fathers at whatever age you are. And it's, uh, it'll be the highlight of your relationship, fathers and daughters. Uh, it always is. Got some interesting couples coming this time already. Uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Ron Block, and his daughter are coming out. And he's one of the top musicians in the world. And we'll be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be happy to have some fun with him. And uh, everybody else that comes along, we'll, we'll have fun with. It's a wonderful weekend. So you need to register right now, though. Go, go online or call the office and get that done. The other thing is the Epic Conference, which is coming up the last day of February, the first two days of March, February 28th through 2nd of March. And it'll be in Prosper, Texas, which is just a little bit north of Dallas. And it is uh, our annual conference, and we deal with the gospel as it relates to different aspects of life. This year, we're dealing with the mystery of the times. Where do we live on God's calendar? Where are we in time? Are we close to the end of chronological time, where are we in the process? So that's going to be really interesting. It deals with eschatology. It deals with purpose. It deals with how to interpret scripture. And so uh, it's going to be a fabulous time. And we have breakout sessions and we have something for the kids and something for the youth and something for the leaders and something for all of us. I really wish you would come. I really beg you to come, plead with you, not only to register, but try to bring as many people as you can. Bring several people from your church, from your small group, from your family, and uh, come and make this a a priority for the year. It will be a life-changing event. I, I promise you that. It's a money, money back guarantee. So please take advantage of it. Go online right now. Look up Epic Conference. Register. Get involved in that whole thing. Okay? Will you do that? The other thing I want to mention, since it's first of the year, many of you are probably going to start out saying, I'm going to read the Bible through this year, or I'm going to go do a certain discipleship program this year, or whatever. And, and you know, it'll, it'll be March, February, March, and you, you, you may have stopped. Let me tell you something you can do within a few weeks. Uh, you can do it yourself, or you can do it with somebody. It's really good to do with someone else. And it's called Follow Me. I wrote it specially for you. I wrote it so you will be able to take somebody along with you and say, let's have coffee for 30 minutes and go through the scriptures of what does it mean to follow Jesus, dealing with the basic stuff. And so I recommend it to you. Get get a copy for you. Get a copy for your brother-in-law, your neighbor, your friend. Go through it with them. Go through it with your husband and wife. And I promise you, it will be a blessing to you. So you can get that. Follow me. Get it from the office. Okay. 
this month I want to talk to you about, about an important subject. I always talk to you about important subjects. I don't ever talk to you about unimportant stuff. This time I want to talk to you about contentment. Contentment. What does it mean to be content? We live in a culture where discontent is kind of needed for our economy. And our whole economy kind of is based on making people discontented with what they have. So they'll go buy something else. And we live with a lie that accumulated stuff brings some sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. And, and that is a lie. Uh, you know, we, we uh, spend millions of dollars corporately and, and in, as a group every year on storage facilities to store our stuff that we don't use. And sadly, most of it will be sold at garage sale prices or given away by our children who have no need or, or use for it. And, and yet it's, it's so much a part of our, our lives. And, and I'm not fussing at you because I'm part of that same culture myself. And so, you know, you, you, you can't wear the same clothes every year. You got you to gotta update and you got to update your house and you got to update your car and everything is so discontentment is kind of the the engine that makes us run. And, but, but that's not God's design. God would like for you to be content. Now, contentment does not mean complacent. Uh, my father-in-law, who was a dairyman, used to respond to a commercial that was owned by Carnation Milk back in the time. And, and they promoted the idea that, that the little meme was, get Carnation Milk from contented cows. And my father-in-law would say, my cows are never contented. They're always trying to do better. Well, I'm not talking about complacency. I'm talking about contentment. That state of being at peace. And uh, that state of the lack of turmoil, the lack of striving, the, the, the lack of angst in your life. So what does it mean to be uh, content? And the passage that's, uh, that's probably the best passage in the whole Bible on it is, at least in the New Testament, is uh, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, uh, the Philippians. And so if you have a copy of the scripture, turn there with me. I'm going to read a good portion here, and uh, it, you can get it on your iPhone, wherever you get your copy of scripture from. This is the Philippians. Now, let me tell you the book of what the letter of Philippians is about. Paul is writing to the, uh, to the believers at Philippi because when he went there, he took the gospel there, and he was the he was the father of these the spiritual father of these early Christians, and he taught them the first steps of the Christian life, and they supported him. They they did what you're supposed to do when you have a spiritual father, you take care of them. When you have a spiritual a teacher, you take care of the teacher, and you participate, and you become a partner with them in the rest of their ministry. That's that's what they did, and so. Uh, but then the, the, there was a period of time when there were uh, there were no visible gifts from from the Philippians to Paul, and so now they've sent another gift through Epaphroditus. He's in prison, and they've sent him a gift, and he is writing to, to thank them for that. And he he mentions the fact that you you were you've always been generous, and you've take, taken care of me, and. The fact that you haven't for a long time probably means that you just didn't have the opportunity. So thank you so much. And, and, uh, and, and so he, he makes the point to them, however, that he is, he is not writing to them to try to manipulate them, to try to get them to give him more, that he, 
that his need is not the issue for his writing, that he is not writing out of a sense of want or need, even though he's in prison. And even though when you were a prisoner in that day, if you weren't taken care of by others outside the prison, you just didn't get much. Uh, the government didn't provide a lot for prisoners. So uh, friends and family had to. And so he, he obviously didn't have much. He was in prison. And so, but he's saying, I'm not writing from want. I'm writing because I want you to have the fruit of accruing to your account of your giving. And, and so he, he's writing with great encouragement to them. And it's in that context of writing that, that he says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. So I want to read this to you. Uh, so he says this, uh, chapter 4. Uh, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now after so long a time you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance. Let me read that again. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Another translation says, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now here's why I want to talk to you. I was reading that recently, and... I noticed something that I hadn't noticed at least as deeply before, that he said, contentment can be learned. I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. And I thought, that's good news. That's good news, because I think I had uh, inadvertently or unconsciously thought, well, you know, contentment, you ought to be content. You just ought to be content if God's sovereign and he's, he's good, you just ought to be content. If you're not content, something wrong with you. Well, uh, that's true, but he said, you can learn to be content. And so I started searching through the letter to find out, okay, what was it that Paul learned? What, what are the lessons? What, 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 what was it that he saw that caused him to be content in every circumstance? And if that's the case, then I want to know it. Don't you know, do you want to know that? Uh, so he says you can you can be content facing plenty, you can be content facing need, facing lack. So uh, uh, also as I read this, I was I was convicted by this whole thing. You know, he's writing to them and hey, he was itinerant. I mean he he worked when he could 
uh, making tents to get a little money on the side because he didn't want to be a burden. But he was primarily uh, funded by people who uh, he had helped them come to know the Lord. He had taught them, and they, in natural response, were taking care of him. They were partners with him in the gospel, which they should have been. And so uh, he could have easily written to them and said to them things like, look, I'm your father. I'm your spiritual father. I know it's in your heart to take care of your father. You need to know I'm in need. I'm in prison. I don't have anything. I don't even have the right clothes. And, and, and also, I'm trying to reach the world with the gospel. And wherever I go, there's transformation taking place. And the gospel is changing lives. And, and you get to participate in that. What greater benefit could you ask? Uh, and also, I've been your teacher. And it's normal for the person who is taught to give to the teacher. He, in fact, he said that to the Galatians. You who are taught in the word, share with your teacher in all good things. And that's true. There's something inside of us that knows that that's true. That's why we give to the universities that we went to and or to the schools or to, to individuals. We, we give them. Now, sadly, we seem to, to value uh, secular education more than we do spiritual uh, knowledge and education because while budgets and uh, endowments bulge in many universities, missionaries and gospel ministers uh, don't uh, too much of the time. And, and so, uh, but he, he could have written to him and said that and said, look, you, you know, take care of me. It's your, it's your obligation. It's your responsibility. It's your privilege. You ought, you ought to be thrilled to know that you're part of something as world-changing and eternal as what I'm doing and preaching the gospel, establishing churches doing all this stuff. He could have done that, but he didn't. He, he wrote to them and said, I just, I just want to thank you for partnering with me in the gospel. And, and I want you to know this, when you've, when you've given a gift to me from, from the heart that you're giving it, you gave the gift to me, but God accepted it as to him. And he, he smiled and he's pleased and he accepted it as a thank offering. And, uh, and so you've done something eternally. You've done something that not only has impacted the earth, but has impacted heaven. And however God keeps books, your account has been added to. That's, well, that's, so, so he said, I'm encouraging you to give and I'm thanking you for giving because I'm concerned about you and the benefit that your giving will have. And I, I read that, and uh, honestly, it was convicting because that that is my heart. I, I do want people to give because I know giving is is the nature of God. And I know as you give, you get do get to participate in something that's eternal, and, and I know that God is pleased with it, and I know God is is always committed to take care of His people. And so, but sometimes when your budget is low and things are are dragging financially, which they do sometimes in ministry like here. Uh, it's easy to go, you know, I want those people to give because of that, but I need the gift. That was not what Paul said. He said, I've learned. I just want y'all to know I'm not writing to you because I got a need. I'm writing to you to thank you. And I'm writing you because I want you in your giving to be blessed. I want you to have the profit. So I just had to say, Lord, Wherever there is that mixed motive in me, I, I want it out because I really do want to live like Paul. I want to live in contentment because, see, if if I'm depending on you and if I'm depending on any other 
resource for my need and I get my focus there, I can't be content. I can't be content if I'm always looking at how much I have, how much I don't have. If I fall prey to the discontent of my culture and I compare what I have with what others have or I compete with others in getting stuff or if I'm afraid that I don't, I'm not going to have enough to make it to the end of the month or any of that kind of stuff, if any of that is in my heart, I'm not content. And therefore, I am not fulfilling the call God has given to me. So, so it's in that context he, he wrote that. Now, for the sake of time, let me just give you what I believe are five clues to learning contentment that are found in, in these scriptures. The first one is that God, Paul realized that God has called us to be his own demonstrations of contentment, demonstrations of his glory. We are glorifiers. You see, Paul had, he thought he was, he thought he knew his vocation, so he was, he was trying to destroy the, the way of Christ and maintain the Judaism that he had, he had been brought up in. But he had, he had encountered the Lord on the Damascus Road, and he was called by the Lord to, to himself. That is, the Lord called him to himself. And he was assigned the responsibility to demonstrate the glory of God, primarily to the Gentiles. And, and Paul understood that all of us who have encountered God, whether it was on the Damascus Road or it was in a church or it was in a cornfield, it doesn't matter. You've encountered the Lord, and all of us have a common calling. And that calling is we are to be the, the model. We are to be dressed in his glory so that, so that we demonstrate his life to the world. So that we are content and we are able to offer to discontented, dissatisfied, longing people. We're show, showing them a life that they can have. And the key to that is resurrection. So Paul says, I have counted everything in my life lost. All that stuff I worked to achieve. You know, I was a Jew. I was, I was a tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised properly. I was a Pharisee. I did everything. I was, I was topping my class and everything. I counted it all as, as manure for the sake of knowing him. And everything about my life is reaching out to discover all that there is in the resurrection. I want to share in his life. I want to share in his, the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want my life to be a demonstration of what resurrection looks like in somebody's life this side of heaven. That's what he said. That, that's my calling. Hey, if that's not your goal, if that's not your calling, the rest of this won't make any sense. And you don't have any hope of, of being content. I'm serious. Because, see, if you don't understand that you are called to demonstrate his life, if you think you're called to be comfortable or you're called to be good or called to be popular or called to be prominent or called to whatever, then you, you, you have, a, have a low concept of your calling. You're called to be a demonstration, a display or the resurrection. Therefore, second point, both supply and need are necessary in your life. If you don't know how to demonstrate resurrection in plenty, you're ill-equipped because there are a lot of people that have plenty and 
So God is going to see to it that you have to face having more than you need. But he also is going to cause you to have to face lack because there are a lot of people in lack. And if you don't know how to face lack, then you can't be content. And you're not demonstrating adequately the resurrection of the Lord. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? Both plenty and need are necessary in our lives so that we learn how to appropriate the resurrected life that we have in Christ in those situations. And both of them are challenges. It's, it's a challenge to have plenty, to have more than you need. It's, it's a challenge sometimes just to, just to be grateful for it because you feel guilty about it. I've been guilty. <laughs> been guilty of being guilty. I remember several years ago, Betsy and I were taking a trip to Australia, New Zealand, somewhere. And I had tried to justify or find a way to fly business class. Because flying 20 hours in second class when you're 6'4 and too big and too old, it was a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge. So I tried to find a way to go business class. And I just couldn't justify the money. And it, it was just way, way too much. So we, we, we got normal coach class tickets and we take off and we fly from Dallas-Fort Worth to Los Angeles and we got there late and so we had to rush to get to the plane that was going to Australia or whatever and they rushed us on and sat us in first class, not business class, first class. I mean, it was luxurious. It was like being in your own suite. And I sat down, and instantly I thought, I wonder which one of my friends has paid for this. Somebody has surprised me and blessed me, and I, I feel guilty. I mean, I knew what it cost. It was like $20,000. And I thought, man, that, that money could be used for better things. You know, and then I got feeling guilty for feeling guilty, and I thought, I, I sound like Judas, who was fussing at Jesus about the woman wiping his feet with her hair and said that money could be that could have been sold for give to the poor you know and all that so so I'm, I'm there and I'm not grateful at all I'm, I'm frustrated because it's like no 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 I, this this is not right I, I and finally asked the uh, attendant you know why are we here our, our, our tickets say that we're going coach and she said that was the last seats on the plane we had to put you on and I realized oh thank god None of my friends has had to spend the money. Well, you know, Qantas had to spend the money. But the, the whole point is, was I wasn't prepared to handle plenty. It was an unexpected plenty that I wasn't ready to deal with. It, and I wasn't even grateful. Now, I got grateful. It, uh, I mean, when I was able to stretch my legs out and whatever, I, began, I, I did get grateful to God. But I'm just saying, a lot of people live with a sense of poverty and and even when they have plenty, they feel guilty about it. And, and some people will, will, will buy asceticism, buy into asceticism, where they put themselves down so they, do, they can't enjoy plenty and judge others for having plenty. And, and so if, if any of that is part of you, you, you don't know how to handle plenty. You know how to be grateful when things are there. But one of the dangers of having plenty is when you have plenty for a little while, you start thinking that's normal and that, that you've got a right to it. And then when you don't have as plentiful stuff as you did, then you get angry at God and blame others and become a victim and, uh, and judge others who have plenty and all, all that kind of stuff. So there are, lots of, uh, there, there are lots of traps in having plenty. In fact, 
When you have more than you have consciousness of need, that's dangerous money. It's dangerous provision because it can feed your greed or can feed your fears or, or you can use it to manipulate and all that kind of stuff. So it's important to have a vision where our, our supply fits our vision. But hey, what about facing need? Well, you face need at the same, same kind of deal. Well, why, why am I in need and others are not in need? And, and I've, been, I've been as good as they've been. And, and I deserve things. That, why, why do I have that? And, and then there's the, okay, let's everybody ought to share with me. And, and there's that whole thing of let's make, all the, make everything equal. And, and, and then the begging and poverty mentality and all of that. So God gives us both. Because if you don't know how to handle both, you're always in fear. And you won't be content. So Paul says, hey, I accept both plenty and need as a gift from God. So the first thing I do is I thank God. I thank God for my need. I thank God for my plenty. Then I see, okay, God, how do you want me to use these resources? All of my resources are for one purpose, to be a demonstration of the power of the resurrected life in this world and in the world to come. The third thing that I see that Paul had here, Paul says, we have already the mind of Christ. See, we, we could sit back and go, you know, I wish I could think like that. I wish I were that selfless and, and that full of faith, but I, I, I just can't do that. You know, I, I grew up in a poverty deal or I grew up with rich parents, you know. No, you can't. See, Paul, Paul in, the, in, in the first part of the letter says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that's pretty rich, did not think being equal with God, that's real rich, was something to be grasped, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the fashion of man. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him name above every name. He says, that was the mind of Christ. That's your mind. It's, it's been implanted in you. By the person of the Holy Spirit, you have been given the mind of Christ. Now he says, activate it. Activate it. You see, you can have the mind, but if it just sits dormant there and you're operating on the old mindset of the unresurrected life and the unindwelt life, if you're, if you're doing that, you're, you're ignoring the mind of Christ. How do you activate such a mind? You choose to prefer others above yourself. You choose to be a giver and not a receiver. You choose to be thankful. So he covers all of that in the scripture there. So he's saying, this is the mind of Christ. And when you choose to act, God, it activates this mind of Christ. And then you start thinking like Christ. And then you start, you start evaluating things like Christ. And pretty soon you're energized by a whole new mindset because you are now appropriating the mind that Christ has already imparted to you. So you activate by choosing to believe it and act as if it's so, because it is so. So we have the mind of Christ. If, if, if you don't do that, then you'll just consent, con continue along thinking the old way as if you were not a son of God, as if you had not been purchased by the blood of Christ, as if 
as if God had not given you his inheritance and made you a joint heir with Christ, as if he were not your father looking over you, if he were not your partner saying, I'll, give, I'll take care of the provisions, you take, you take care of being obedient. If you're going to, why, why would you live like that? Why, why would you ignore something as wonderful as being possessors of the mind of Christ that can be activated by our choice? Because there's another thing that Paul says in this letter. He says, I, I have total confidence that you're going to get all the way through this because he who works, because God who, who works in you is working to will and do his good pleasure. God is in charge of working in your life. So, so that's the third one. Fourth, it is, the fourth clue that Paul learned is that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven living in a colony on the earth. Now, this is interesting. He's writing to the Philippians. Philippi was a colony of Rome. Rome ruled it, and if you were a citizen of Rome living in the colony of Philippi, if you had needs, you could call on your home country. You could call on Rome, and you had the resources of Rome at your back. Remember one time, Phil, uh, not Phil, Paul was being abused by some Roman soldiers, and he, he was being beaten. And he said, hey, do you think it's right that you, uh, that you beat a Roman soldier without a trial? And the guy goes, you're, I mean, a Roman citizen. He said, you're a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes. I am. And the guy said, man, don't play with me. I paid a lot of money to be a Roman citizen. So this is a big, a big issue for me. So don't, don't be telling me. And Paul said, I, I didn't pay any money for it. I was born a Roman citizen. I have rights. So the guy goes, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. And, and Paul had a right to appeal all the way to Caesar. And he did. And that's what got him to Rome. Now that's an illustration. You and I live in a colony on earth. But our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, where Jesus rules. And where our God, the God that rules everything, is in charge and who owns everything and has all resources in charge. So we are citizens of that kingdom. And when we need something in our colony, we can access it through prayer. That's why in chapter 3 of the same letter, just the passage, just before what I read to you, he says, don't be anxious about anything but by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, the passage all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you, do you see what he's saying? Now, you can try to put that scripture on your refrigerator and quote it and whatever, but if you don't understand what he's really saying, there, he's saying the reason you can do that is because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 3, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So it's the fact that we're members of the kingdom of God that gives us the right to petition our home country, our kingdom, the, the, where we have citizenship. And when we do that, we know that he cares for us. And once we make our petition to him, he is going to respond. God is not going to be unfaithful to those who ask him in faith. It's just like God is not, he, he, he's Lord of the harvest. 
If you plant seed in God's garden, he is going to give fruit back to you. Now, if you try to manipulate God by saying, okay, I'm going to give this gift to get God to give something back to me. You're not giving to God. You're giving to yourself and using God as a broker, the middleman. That's not giving to God. That's trying to use God, trying to leverage God. But when you give to God like the Philippians were giving to Paul, God accepts that as a gift from him. And he said, here's a promise to you. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. What does that mean? He owns them all. He, he, he doesn't, he, he's not skimpy. He's not worried that you're going to bankrupt him. So Paul understood that he was a citizen of the kingdom and that all he had to do was make his request to God. And so as a result of that, he said, I focus on, on truth. I focus on things that are right, things that are pure, things. What, what are those things that God has said? So we're citizens of the kingdom. And the fifth thing is our future is as secure as Jesus' present is secure. Where is Jesus right now? He has already finished the work. He's paid for, he's paid for sin. He's defeated death. He's, he's, been, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he rules over everything now. And we are in him. And his present state of being finished and exalted is our guaranteed future state. Because we're in him, we are going to finally get all the benefits of the resurrection. Paul said, I'm experiencing resurrected life now, but I have this goal. I press on toward the mark of the high calling, the full benefit of resurrection, which is the glorified body. Whatever kind of body Christ had as, as a result of the resurrection, I get. So if my circumstances are this old body's getting old, which it is, if it gets disease, which it sometimes does, if it gets afflicted, which it sometimes does, I know it's not the final state. My final state, what I'm looking forward to, and it's not too far in the future, is that I will experience everything the resurrection achieved in Christ. And it achieved full restoration of my being human and my being what God designed me to be. So Paul says, because of these five things, I don't have to try to manipulate you to give. I don't have to beg for my need. I don't have to compete. I don't have to compare. I don't have to moan and groan. I don't have to be a victim. I don't have to try to be superior. I don't have to try to be rich. I don't, no, he said, I can be content in whatever state I'm in, realizing that I'm, I need both. And sometimes I need plenty. Sometimes I need need. So that in those situations, I can display the superiority of a resurrected life. I can do all things through Christ who energizes me. 4.13. So there we have Paul's encouragement to us that you can be content. And if you're not, you can learn to be content. And you can learn to be content by applying the truth of the gospel to your life. Do you really believe that Christ's work is finished? And do you believe that you are a son of God because of his work? That you are righteous because of his righteousness? That you are forgiven because of his, he paid the debt? That you are his people and that he has assigned you to go and, and to be his partners on there? If you believe that, act like it. Activate it. Access it. And live in it. And then you too can be content. 
That's good, isn't it? That's really good news. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for the time to, to, to open the scriptures, to read a letter that Paul wrote a long time ago to a bunch of believers, but but it's it's like he wrote it to us. Well, you wrote it to us. Paul's writing to the Philippians. You threw the Paul to the Philippians writing to us. So thank you for the letter. And thank you for telling us the great truth that we can we can be content and we can demonstrate the power of your resurrected life. So I thank for all these people who are listening and I pray that you would, uh, you would bless them each, each and every one. Let us enjoy our giving. Let us enjoy our plenty and enjoy our need because you are sufficient in both. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is Dudley with Kerygma Ventures. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M. A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.